Next on Abounding Grace, learn how to lead others to Jesus. This is amazing grace. So have you ever led someone to the Lord? Few things in life are as exciting as that, but many have never done it. Often some fears are getting in the way. Today on Abounding Grace, we want to help you lead others to Jesus. Much like Andrew did in John chapter one, Pastor Ed Taylor starts off by encouraging us to be relevant and know your audience. He illustrates by pulling out a phone from years past. Look at this, you know what this is? And an antenna. So if I just use, you know, the antennas on your phones as an illustration, you're like, what? You know, there were phones even before this. I can't believe I can't get it out. What is this? Oh, there it is. So this is how you used to look on the phone. Hello. Look at this thing. This is crazy. It's crazy. Before this, there used to be these phones where you carried the battery on like a man purse. And before that, the batteries were so big, you'd have to have a wagon to bring that along. And talking on the phones, there was no texting, just talking. That's what a phone is for. Talking cost 100 bucks a minute or something. We're not, this isn't the age we live in anymore. I don't even know what year. Somebody, I used the phone as an example not too long ago, and somebody gave this to me. This is not mine, but I don't know what year this is. They didn't put the year back on in those days. I don't know. Let's see, probably the 80s. Oh, the battery's not too bad. It's better than the one in the, the, uh, the wagon. But if I, use, if I use this as an example, I need to make sure that I know who I'm talking to. This is the example I'd probably use today where you can use. This is really relatable. How many of you have seen a smartphone? So how many? Raise your hands. How many of you heard? Look, it, that's relevant, isn't it? How many of you have seen this? You know, some of you have seen this. You've used this. But maybe I could be relevant to you. But the kids, they're just like, what is that? Dad, you use that? And you know, if my son said that, Dad, you use that? I'd say no, because I couldn't afford it. It wasn't cheap, free stuff. Things have changed. Wouldn't you agree? Things have changed just from 10 years ago. Do you realize 10, 13, 15 years ago, fast internet service wasn't in your house. You got it at work, maybe. You got it in your house. You got it in your home, but... You got it at work, but not in your home because things are changing just with technology. Think about, think about everything that's changed around us. Think about how social media has changed the way that we communicate. Think about, think about, think about just that. And you can see how important it is to take the gospel and uh, adjust yourself to the changes of life. Things have changed. There, there's a word for that. It's called contextualization. And I just want you to know as a church, we want to be very relevant. We chase a lot. We want to use a lot. We want to garner and use every piece of technology, everything that's available to us to saturate the world with the gospel, especially our world here locally as much as we can, and to be radical steps of faith. No matter, you know, no matter what, what obstacles come our way, we want to harness, every, harness everything that's available to get the message out. But I want you to be rest assured that we will not tamper with the message. The message doesn't change. 
the methodologies that we use and the delivery of the message might change. We, again, aren't going to use, uh, we aren't going to use illustrations, perhaps, and things that are going to be irrelevant, but we also want to make sure that we are sensitive to the people that are in front of us and make sure that we're answering the questions that they're asking. Not, and pastors at times have been accused of, and I think it's true that pastors from their messages on the pulpit are answering questions that nobody's asking because times have changed. You want to know what's going on in people's lives. And you don't want to miss any generation. There's some generations, that's their phone. Great. I, I'll be relate. I want to be as, just as relatable. One of the things that God has shown me over the years in this area is that I have an interest on what people do for a living. It just fascinates me. And then, so if I'm asking you, hey, what do you do for a living? I just really want to know. I want to know what you do, how you do it, how did you, how did you get there? Like at fifth grade, is this what you wanted to be when you grow up? I just love listening. Uh, uh, even the paths of different careers. You know, partly I think it comes because when I was in high school and we went to the guidance counselor for like our final interview of what we should do with our, with our lives and what kind of jobs would be good for us, they gave me two options. They gave me two options. Option number one, you're going to be unemployed the rest of your life because of my life. I was just, by the time I was a senior in high school, my life was already wasted. It was already gone. And they didn't know what to do with me. And, and, and I, I do believe there was a seriousness. If you don't get your life together, you're never going to hold a job. And they were right. The other one was that I would be in jail, working in jail somewhere. That's the life I was headed. And that was the discussion that my guidance counselor wanted to make sure I knew I left high school with. And I had already had a, uh, we already knew we were pregnant. We already knew I couldn't go to college. I just, it was already heading that way. And so partly is I just love to hear, like, what was it like to have a career? What was it like to, I love it. I love it. But you know what I've learned, though? What I've learned is God put that desire in my heart because he's just given me a gift to take the gospel and make it relevant to someone's life by what they do for a living. And use that, use what you do every day, five, six, seven days a week, as a way to explain the gospel to you. Like, for, for instance, you know, uh, many of you get memos of new rules and new things you've got to do now. And you're like, why are we doing this? I can't believe we've got another memo, another law. And you're like, oh, another rule. But I haven't broken any rules. Why are they giving it to me? It's everyone, you know. And so just that mentality of like, oh, the bosses are telling us what to do again. Well, you know, I love to, I love to take that and say, well, wait a minute. You know, the Bible's a lot like that. You know, God has given laws for the protection of others. I mean, this rule is a good rule, right? Yeah. I know it doesn't apply to you, but it's going to help a lot of people. Yeah. Well, what are you so upset about it? Because I don't break the rules. You know what? The Bible says that. The Bible says that laws and rules are really for lawbreakers and rule breakers. And so it's necessary because when people cross over that line, they need somebody to tell them, don't cross over that line. Don't cross over that line. And because you're a good employee and because you're really faithful and you do what you're told, I know it doesn't apply to you, but you really want it to apply to the people that do because a lot of people get hurt. You go, oh, yeah, yeah. But let me take it one step further. God has established a law. He's established the law in his Bible to remind us that we really need protection. He wants to tell us how to live our lives. It's good for us. And we'll never really come up against the law unless we want to break it. And when we want to break it, it's not good for us. And so the law says, look, look, you need help. And, and it's amazing. You can do that with just, like, I, I just seen that over my life. I don't know what you're interested in. I don't know what, what really captivates you. But I want you to know that, that whatever captivates you, what, whatever interests you, you can use for the gospel. You can connect it to anything. You can connect your hobby and everything as a way to build a bridge in people's lives. Be 
relevant. The, the passage, we don't have time to get there because we're going to wind down here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you might want to read it later from verses 19 to 23. Paul summarizes it by saying, I want to become all things to all men that I might win the more. And what he's trying to tell us is that he learned what was going on in the Jewish mind, and he learned what was going on in the Gentile mind, and he learned what was going on in those that were struggling so he could take the gospel to them. Let me give you another one, number four. Time goes by so fast. Number four, this is a practical one. Always carry a Bible everywhere. Always carry a Bible everywhere. This book is alive and powerful, and its words contain life. So if you don't have one, then you've taken away the authority by which you stand as an evangelist, as a herald. Now, it doesn't have to be the big family Bible. You can carry it around with a big cross around your neck. And it's not that that's... And, and, and what I'm not saying either is that you don't... You know, I'm not saying don't use technology. Of course use technology. I, I, I love technology. I use it to its fullest. On my computer, on my iPad, on my phone. I read the Bible. I have devos on it. I use it extensively. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that, you know, like when you go down to the DMV, when you go to the DMV, you know it's going to take about an hour, and you take your iPad with you, and there you just want to do your devos in the DMV. And, and you're going to, you're going to read the Bible, you're going to do your devos. When people are looking at you, they don't know what you're doing. They have no idea. You could be playing Angry Birds, you could be paying your bills, you can be upset because you can't find Wi-Fi, you could be a lot of things. But we don't know what you're doing. And, you know, when you're there sitting in the DMV, you're like, well, I'm in the DMV. I don't want to talk to anybody. Okay, okay. I mean, I mean, you need to pray for that bad attitude because you do want to talk to people. You got God's put you in the DMV not to get your driver's license, but maybe there's an open door for someone there that needs help in their life. And that's just where God's going to connect to you. And so take, for example, you go into the DMV and having a Bible open on your lap. Oh, that, no, everybody knows what you're doing then. There's no question. There's no angry birds. You're not hiding a phone in there and playing angry birds. You're reading the Bible. And how about this? Just what happened? Just, if God had it all set up for that morning for somebody to go to the DMV and they got just like Bible questions on their head. They got serious stuff going on in their life. And they've just been wondering, how do I get these questions answered? I really don't want to walk into a church. You know, it's like, what are they going to do with me in the church? What do they do in those buildings anyway? But I'm going to go to the DMV because I got to get my driver's license. And then there you are sitting with your Bible and it clicks. They got a Bible. I wonder if they can answer my questions. And they come over to you and go, hey, um, excuse me, but. You know, are you one of those religious people? I see you reading a Bible, and he's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. I, I, I do. I, I, I go to church, and I read my Bible, and he says, you know, this has been bothering me for a long time. And you're like, well, what is it? And right then and there, why? Because you had a Bible with you. And I think you should. I think you should use your technology, but don't abandon the Word of God. Because, you know, as you're, uh, this has happened many times. I'm, I'm reading the phone on my, I'm, I'm reading the phone. I'm reading the Bible on my phone, and then I get a phone call. So I'm, oh, Lord, you're so good. And bring, bring, hello. Yeah, yeah, and then it distracts me, and I go off over, and it's like, hey, man, what are you calling? You just interrupt my Bible. What are you reading your Bible on your phone for? You, just, you know, you just like, you get so distracted, you get text messages on it. I mean, it happens when you guys are, I see you. Like, I don't see you. It's like you're tracking along, tracking along, and then all of a sudden, oh, yeah. We've got it all, and you see these cameras, like, only one's on me. The rest are on you. It's just a distraction. But when you've got a Bible open, a phone in your pocket, it's just you and the Lord. So I really think you should have a Bible. It's really good to not abandon. I love technology. I have my whole life. I still will until I see Jesus face to face. But I'll tell you this. You know, I, I think that part of technology in these latter days is getting the Bible out of your hands. 
And there's just nothing like knowing that you have God's word. You know, there, there, there are people all around the world that would covet and, and just, just greatly desire the Bible that's in your hand because it's illegal in their country. And they've got to hide it and they've got to share pages. Use your Bible. It's good for evangelism. There's nothing like opening the Bible. Number five, be ready to share your testimony. Be ready to share your testimony. That's your God story. If you don't know how to share your, tes- your testimony, don't know how to put it together, take an eight and a half by 11 white piece of paper like this. And on it, write three boxes that are equal size. Just draw three boxes right here, three. You got one, two, three. On the top box, write your past. Tell us about your past. You're going to tell somebody about your past. Some of you, it's going to be really bad. Had a real bad past. Uh, it's just real difficult. Some of you grew up in a godly home. I don't want you to despise that and think, well, I don't have a testimony because I was... Gr-. No, 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 no. Uh, testimonies of people that grew up in a godly home and they grew up into adults that love Jesus is very powerful because you have to talk about all the temptations you fought, all the, you know, maybe you backslid for a while and now you're back. You're past. That's how you're going to connect with someone. In the middle, you write your God experience, your salvation story. How did you get saved? How did God save you? Was it a friend? Was it a situation? Was it a crisis? Was it a church? Was it Billy Graham on TV? Did you listen to Pastor Chuck on the radio? What was it that God used in your life? And then the final box is, what is God doing now? What is God doing now? And you should be able and be prepared to share your testimony in three minutes. A three-minute testimony. Three minutes. You know, don't, don't share your testimony. Okay, I'm going to share my testimony. and say with your buddy at work, hey, do you got a couple days? I want to share my testimony with you. Day number one, I was born. You know, it's just like, no, 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 no. It's, you see, testimonies are not about you. They're about God and his story through you. Remember Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you are an epistle written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Your life is being read. People won't read, people, some won't read the Bible, but they're reading your life very carefully. And as you're sharing the, you know, three minutes, I think in the business world, they said if you, you know, they told us to, if you're preparing a presentation, be able to do it in the elevator. And I think that's good. You know, an elevator story, an elevator version of your testimony. Of course, it's much larger and you can share that at appropriate times. But when you're sharing the gospel, it's not about you. It's about God and his work. And of course, if you try your elevator story here in the church, we only have one floor. So you're going to be up here real fast. So if you want to practice, try it. Try it. The final thing as I, I want to show you is how to share the gospel biblically. And I've given you the Romans road as one tool in your bulletin, how to share. Number one, you establish the need to be saved. You've got to tell people that they need to be saved. You've got to show them in the Bible. Just like the Bible says, there's a problem of sin. In Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, that, the good news of the gospel actually begins with bad news. How sin has wrecked our lives. And helping a person realize that they have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God is very, very hard. Actually, it's impossible. Only the Spirit of God can bring conviction to a heart. But he uses us as tools, and the main tool that he uses is his word. How he declares. So, you know, hey, sin has wrecked us. All have sinned, and that includes us. That includes me. Not only that, but the wages of sin. You know, sin pays Sin pays its wages, and the wages of sin is death, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Eternal death, not just physical death. At every funeral, every person that dies a physical death is a reminder that death has a wage. That death came into existence because of sin. 
physically and spiritually. And when a person is drowning, just like when a person's drowning, they won't take the life preserver until they realize how bad it is. I can save myself. I can save myself. And you actually wait a little bit till they're tired out. Then you throw them the life preserver. And you'll meet some folks that as you're sharing with them, you begin to establish that they need Jesus. They'll answer back right away. They'll have a quick answer. And the answer usually is this, something along these lines as you're sharing your testimony and everything. And they, they come to the conclusion, you know what? You're right. You did need Jesus. You know, like you were messed up. You did need Jesus. But me, I'm a... Finish that sentence with me. I'm a good person. You've heard it before, haven't you? You know, I don't argue with people when they say that. Because I think there's probably a lot of good in them. I'm sure they do good deeds. I'm sure they're good in their community. I'm sure they help their neighbor. I'm sure they give to charity. I'm sure they add a little bit at the, at the Costco line, you know, when they're taking money for children's hospital or some need. I'm sure there's a lot of good in them. And so I don't choose to argue with that because I want them to be good. And our society needs more good people. The real question is this. How good are you? How good are you? And let that flow. And it's amazing. There's usually two people that are always compared to when you talk about good. And when, they, when someone's trying to really make themselves look good, they'll say like, oh, I'm, 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 well, you know, I might be bad, but I'm not as bad as Adolf Hitler. And you're like, yeah, like nobody's bad like him. And I hope we never see another one. It's like if we all compared ourselves to him, we're like the best. Or if they're kind of feeling the opposite, you know, and just like kind of down on themselves, they go, you know, you know I'm good, but, but I'm no Billy Graham. Well, you know, Billy Graham is not a perfect man. I mean, he might, God used him greatly, but he's just like us. The real comparison is not Billy Graham or Adolf Hitler. The real comparison is the perfect man, Jesus Christ. So how good are you? Well, I'm pretty good. Are you good like Jesus? Um, uh, yeah, maybe. No, not maybe. And so sometimes when I'm talking to people, depending on who they are, you know, where they come from, I won't even use the word sin so quickly. I'll just say, have you ever made a mistake? Because people usually will admit, yeah, I made a mistake once many years ago. Yeah, I made a mistake. Well, so, so you, you, you know, even in personal life, if you've made a few mistakes in your life, that you're, you're not perfect, right? Well, I guess if you put it that way, you're not perfect. And you kind of walk them along so they get it. And, and as they're getting it, you're like, well, you know, let me, this is the Bible. the Bible. The Bible talks about mistakes, but it actually uses a different word. It uses the word sin. Really, the definition of sin, those of you that are sharpshooters or you like to go, especially in the archery where you like to shoot at targets, the word literally means to miss the mark. Where you're shooting at the target, you know, go out in the bullseye and you miss. They would call that a sin. You missed the mark. You're not perfect. You didn't get it. You didn't hit it. And you kind of translate that into saying, you know, uh, you might be good, but you're not good enough. Because God requires perfection. He requires us not to have any, but the Bible says that we've all sinned. And, and there's a great problem in our society. We're really messing, we're really fighting against this philosophy of thinking where people will come and say, I'm a good person, I go to church, I was water baptized, I went through confirmation, I pray, I do good deeds, I, I go to church, I'm a good person. But Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 3. We have to realize that we're sinners, and sinners can be forgiven. That's good news. It's not bad news. And so for us to call sin a disease makes it sound like it's fatal. Sin is not a disease in that sense. You know, we're all going to die of our last disease. We all get sick. You know, sin is a disease. It's not make it sound like there's no hope. There's no hope. It's just like, oh, man, I don't know what to do. Calling sin a dysfunction makes it sound like it's unchangeable. 
I mean, we use that word a lot in our society. I mean, I'm sure some of you, if we were to describe it, we would say that we all came from a dysfunctional family, right? Many of you have that? You come from a dysfunctional family? Let me let you in on a secret. We all have come from a dysfunctional family. We all have families, and they're not all what God intended them to be. There's a part of dysfunction or disorder in every one of our families, some worse than others. But there's hope for those types of families because Jesus can save and change and renew and bring wholeness to a fractured family. He can do that work. But calling sin a dysfunction is like, well, I guess that's just the way it is. That's just how, there's no opportunity. No, no, no. Sin is not just a dysfunction. It's not just a disease. Calling sin an addiction. Calling sin an addiction makes it sound like there's no control. No control. I'm just addicted. I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted to this, which literally means you habitually do something and you habitually want to do something and you have submitted yourself to the control of someone or something. But calling sin an addiction isn't going to help you. It makes it sound like, you know, there's no opportunity to get out from this. I'm just addicted. I'm going to be addicted my whole life. But the Bible says that who the Son sets free, he's free indeed. That he wants to free you from the addiction that you may have, that you are dealing with. But it's not just an addiction, it's sin. And when God forgives you of sin, he will also release you from sin and you can leave your addictions behind. You are not bound by them. You can be free. I, I look at my own life. You know, the minute I was born again, I happened to be one of those guys, fortunately in my life, that the moment I was born again, some of the big addictions in my life were gone. Alcohol, drugs, gone. 23 plus years, no, not, not only have I had, not had any, but I've had no desire for them whatsoever. Jesus has filled the gap in many of those areas in my life. Addiction is gone. He has that freedom for you. And so we need to call sin what it is. It's sin, and I want you to know sin is forgivable. You are redeemable through the precious blood of God's only son, Jesus Christ. I love it. It's wonderful. Not only that, do you also need to show them that Jesus died for their sins. He's the sacrifice. It says the love of God in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 is God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, see, we're sinners, we have to be a sinner in order to take Christ's death. He died for us. Then, it, then we show them not only did Jesus die for us, but that he gave us a gift. All we have to do is take it. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that actually goes together with Romans 6.23. The wages of sin, it reads all together. The wages of sin are, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's your choice. It's your choice to receive. I love John 3.16. It's one of the most memorable verses. Like everyone around the world knows John 3.16. That's the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you don't memorize another verse the rest of your life, memorize that one because it's the gospel in a nutshell that addresses every significant need in in a person's life and everything that God has done to make things right. And we'll study that in depth when we get to chapter 3 in our study. We're enjoying a study in the Gospel of John here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher on the program, and you can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and through the Calvary Church app. Check out Ed's blog at EdTaylor.org. And look for his podcast. It's called Lead to Serve on Apple Podcasts. That's Lead, the number two, Serve. There he discusses the value of servant leadership. And I should also mention Abounding Grace is available by podcast. Hey, thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. 
It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Pastor Chuck Smith's very popular book, Love the More Excellent Way. We toss the word around rather casually. We say we love pizza, we love our dog, and we love our spouse. Hopefully not in that order. But what is love? It would serve us well to look into this and receive God's perspective. And love, the more excellent way, gives that to us. You'll walk away with a greater understanding of the beautiful depth of God's love for us and develop a deeper understanding of God's heart for us. To order it today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or make a request online at calvaryco.store. Again, that's calvaryco.store. And if you'd like to make a donation to the ministry and not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast. We look forward to continuing the journey through John next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the meantime, let's be drawing on God's abounding grace for daily living. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.